InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Our national debt is growing at an astonishing $1 million a minute. Should you care? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey is here to get that answer from an expert. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Robert Bixby. He is the executive director of the Concord Coalition, which is a bipartisan group that advocates eliminating federal deficits. So just to set the stage, how bad are things? Well, we've got a short-term problem and we've got a long-term problem. The short-term budget deficit is going to go up quite a bit this year, probably close to $500 billion because of the slowing economy, continued war costs, the economic stimulus bill. But really... The bigger problem, bad as that sounds, is the building obligations for Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid for when the baby boomers begin to retire, which happens this year. And so those of us that look at the long term are a lot more concerned about that than we are about the short-term budget. I know that people have heard these numbers before, but as far as the national debt, what does that add up to now for each man, woman, and child in America? Well, the national debt right now is a little over $9 trillion, somewhere around 177000 per person. Wow. It's not like you're going to get a bill for it. <laughs> it's a way to sort of quantify it in a way that is a little bit more down-to-earth than just sort of $9 trillion in the abstract. Now, some critics have said, well, in relation to the always growing size of the national economy or the gross domestic product, the deficit isn't really that bad. How do you respond to that? Well, actually, last year's budget deficit at a little over 1% of the economy wasn't that bad. So that's true. This year's will be bigger, but what is troubling is that the entitlement programs that I mentioned before, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, being on autopilot and growing, if we don't address a structural deficit that we have between spending and taxes, these budget deficits will eventually grow to much larger proportions. So again, it's important to distinguish between short-term and long-term. But even short-term, the budget deficit is going to go up significantly over the next couple of years. Yeah, you mentioned this a moment ago. Economic downturns or recessions are probably the worst possible time to try to get this under control because tax receipts tend to go down, plus the outgoing flow of government benefits increases when people lose their jobs. Yes, you're going to get an increase automatically in the budget deficit when you've got a slowing economy, and those are called the automatic stabilizers. Plus, Congress, you know, has already weighed in, and the president, with a fiscal stimulus bill, and that deliberately increases the deficit in the short term, hopefully to mitigate the effects of a recession, or a slowdown anyway. The fact that we may have a budget deficit this big, $500 billion or so this year, may also get the public attention on the fact that we're going into the baby boomers' retirement years from a position of fiscal weakness rather than strength. And all of these commitments are going to put enormous pressure on the budget. So in some ways, it's hard to get people's attention when there's a short-term economic situation because they're obviously concerned about that. But it also highlights the fact that we just aren't doing a very good job of prioritizing for the long term. This is a bipartisan problem, isn't it? Presidents and Congresses of both parties can share the blame for this, right? Oh, absolutely. We got into this situation because members of Congress and presidents of both parties have tended to overpromise. And in order to get control of the situation, you have to either 
reduce the benefits that are promised, government spending in the future, or raise taxes to pay for it. And those are options that politicians simply don't want to confront. So if they can avoid it, they will. We're talking on InfoTrack with Robert Bixby. He is the executive director of the Concord Coalition, which is a bipartisan group that focuses on the federal deficit and the national debt. Bob, let's talk for a moment about the average person's pocketbook, short-term and long-term. How does this sort of national debt and deficit spending affect someone in the short term as far as their spending power or just their general economic outlook? The federal government does have a powerful impact on the economy. You know, it could be that in the short term, actions of the government to run a deficit would help people, like the stimulus bill that's been enacted, and so people will get rebate checks, and that can be helped. We mentioned unemployment compensation, Medicaid, food stamps, or a lot of things that go up in a slow economy. Now, over the long term, if you're running a consistent budget deficit, however, the government has to pay for that, and interest costs to the federal government go up. We're spending about $240 billion on interest payments, which is about 9% of the budget, and it's more than we were spending on the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. So interest on the debt is not a small item. Taxpayers have to pay for that. Ultimately, if you look at what the government spends, whether it borrows to pay for it or not, eventually taxes will have to go up to cover that. And if the government tries running deficits, that has a bad impact on the economy over the long term because it dries up savings and you can't invest in the sort of things that grow the economy over the long term. And longer term, can you envision a literal breaking point where this really creates some sort of national emergency economically? If you don't treat it, that's a possibility. What is actually scarier is some sort of long, slow decline in the American standard of living because we're borrowing huge sums of money from abroad to finance our budget deficits, and we're not saving enough at home, we're not investing in our economy, and eventually people's opportunities just wouldn't be as great, the job opportunities wouldn't be there, a stagnant standard of living, which is something that we're not used to in this country. I worry a little bit more about that than I do about a sudden crisis. Some sort of crisis to get people's attention, some sort of mini-crisis might actually be a good idea to wake us up to the fact that we're really not doing a very good job of planning our fiscal policy. So you study this all day long, every day. What kind of solutions are there out there? I think most citizens feel that they have almost no input on what happens in regards to all this pork barrel spending in Washington. What do you recommend? Well, I think actually citizens have more clout than they give themselves credit for. I think a lot of people do think that there's nothing they can do. But, you know, I've been going out with others on a fiscal wake-up tour for the past two years, and we go around to college campuses mostly to talk about this issue. And, you know, we always tell people that they should go to congressional town hall meetings. Most members of Congress and senators have town hall meetings, and most <laughs> most of them don't get very big turnouts, actually. So people should be in touch with their members of Congress about this. You can have an influence that way. I also think that more public attention can be focused through civic groups and organizations, particularly young people through contact groups that they're involved in, just to get information out about this issue so people understand how bad the problem is. And they can get that from our website at the Concord Coalition, the Government Accountability Office, gao.gov is very good about that. We're ConcordCoalition.org, and public education is really crucial here. 
There has been some talk in Congress of somehow limiting or eliminating these earmarks for various pet projects that senators and congressmen have. If they were to do that, do you think that would make any substantial difference, or is this problem so broad-based that it really would just be kind of a drop in the bucket? Well, that's a really good question because a lot of attention gets focused on these earmarks, and it's a very small portion of the budget. So it's depending upon how you count it, maybe about 1% or 2% of the budget. And it's not the part that's really growing the fastest. They're embarrassing. It's a matter of good government and reestablishing trust in government. Combating these earmarks is something that we clearly should do for those reasons, but it's not really a big fiscal issue. Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid are 42% of the federal budget, and those are the programs that are growing on autopilot because of demographic changes and rising health care costs. So when we look in the future, clearly that's where we need to focus our attention and not so much on the earmarks. It seems like this conversation has been uh, rather pessimistic. Can you give us any kind of hope here? Yes. In these fiscal wake-up events that we do around the country, what I find is that people are, A, very interested in the issue, B, quite willing to confront hard choices about what to do about the problem, even if it means some sacrifice on their own part, whether it's lower benefits or higher taxes or things that you wouldn't think that people were willing to consider. The key is trust in government. If politicians would level with people and talk about these issues, you might get some immediate resistance. But I really find that people are a lot more rational than I think politicians give them credit for. Very interesting and certainly important information. Robert Bixby, the executive director of the Concord Coalition. Thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack. Good to be with you. And again, the website address, concordcoalition.org. For InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, why today's diseases were once lifesavers. It's an eye-opening story you won't want to miss. Coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this.